It is just not fair. We've all said those words at one time or another, in one form or another, right? It's just not fair. How long has it been since you've said them? Has it been a long time? Years? Or less? Maybe just weeks or or days? Or hours? Or only a few minutes? Maybe a few seconds? It just isn't fair. The complaint that this or that is not fair can sometimes have a childish ring to it, which is why it's easy to dismiss offhand. Children will often say, it's not fair. It's not fair that I have to do the chores, but the others don't. It's not fair that they get to have a play date, and I don't. Grown-ups, though, are always ready with our grown-up response, aren't we? Well, I'm sorry, but life isn't fair. Be thankful. Have an attitude of gratitude. Life isn't fair. This is a very grown-up answer, which turns out to be just as unsatisfying to grown-ups as it is to children. Like children, adults, too, are are captive to the question and the language of fairness, right? It's the question of justice, of rightness. It's not fair for a woman to be paid less than a man for doing the same work. It's not fair that the incarceration rate for black Americans is five times the rate of white Americans. It's not fair that your life expectancy is in large part determined by your zip code. In America, the list of unfairnesses is so long that they cannot be counted. At times, these unfairnesses will be deeply personal to us, right? Not just statistics on a page, but the harshness of lived experience, unfairness that can be felt in the gut. That sense of injustice is felt by children and adults alike. The sense that things are just wrong. It's like how one of my children once said to me, Dad, I know that you say that life isn't fair, but I really think it should be kind of agree. Jesus came preaching good news about something called the kingdom of heaven, and he told a lot of stories about it. We heard one such story today, known as the parable of the workers in the vineyard. There's a landowner who's hiring workers at various times throughout the day, right? Some have been there working in the vineyard all day long, um, while others were hired only for the very last hour of the day. And in the dramatic scene right at the end, the landowner tells the manager to pay all the workers the exact same amount, starting with the ones who worked the least. This is an absurd payroll decision. And it is most certainly not fair. 
I mean, the laborers who had been there all day can't contain their disbelief, and naturally they grumble among themselves. Who does this guy think he is? Hasn't he ever heard of a sliding pay scale? Does he know nothing about best practices? This is, it has to be bad for business. I'm bad for employee morale and workplace culture, definitely bad for the bottom line, harmful to the brand image, no doubt. What on earth would possess this man to give equal amounts of pay for unequal amounts of work? And how on earth does this story show us what the kingdom of heaven is like? A theologian once said that scripture is like a very large mansion and with many locked doors. And the keys to all of those locked doors are placed throughout the house. And you often have to go a long way to find the key to the door that's right in front of you. But eventually, if you search long and hard enough, you will find that key. Perhaps the key to understanding the parable of the workers in the vineyard maybe lies in an entirely different passage, in an entirely different gospel, in Luke's gospel, the parable of the prodigal son. We know this parable, don't we? It's also a parable about fairness. A man has two sons. One of them runs away with the inheritance, squanders it on wild living. Eventually, he's got nothing left. He's starving, survives only by becoming a pig keeper. He brings shame on the family, and he's at the end of his rope. And finally, he decides to go back to his father and just beg to work on the land that he used to live on. But when he returns, his father sees him, right? And runs out, throws his arms around him, puts a cloak on his shoulders, and kisses him. His lost son has finally returned. He wants to throw a party. But the older brother, the good one, who stayed home, he's upset. His black sheep of a brother wasted everything, and now he gets a warm welcome back home, honored with all sorts of gifts doesn't make any sense. Just isn't fair. What these two stories show us is that life in God's economy is absolutely, undeniably unfair. But unlike all the normal unfairnesses, unlike all the normal injustices, for us and for once, this is absolutely and undeniably good news. It's good news because it means that God forgives sinful people who need to be forgiven. It means that we receive God's grace simply because God gives it to us and not because of anything that we've done to earn it. In God's kingdom, even if you arrive late, even if you didn't do as much work as others did, even if you weren't expecting much of anything, God chooses to give it all away to you anyway. If the kingdom of God was fair, if we only ever got what we truly deserved, then none of us would be very happy about the outcome. Instead, God's grace extends to those 
who did not earn it, to those who did not deserve it. It's too easy to read the parable of the workers in the vineyard and imagine ourselves in the place of those laborers who showed up bright and early, even before 9 a.m., putting in a full day's work and expecting full compensation. It would be better to assume, I think, that we're like the laborers who showed up late and received far more than they were expecting. That's a healthy theological orientation. And healthy theological orientations will have an impact on how we live our everyday lives and how we approach our daily life and work. It may even change how we think about our neighbor and their work. Perhaps we will develop the capacity for showing the same measure of grace that we have been shown. Perhaps it may even set us free from the tyranny of meritocracy. Meritocracy is the antithesis of Christianity. The grace of God is not a merit-based system. We do not receive God's love because we have earned it. God chooses us not because we deserve to be chosen, but because it delights God to do so. Maybe one of the best way to illustrate the truth of this is to think about the sacrament of baptism. Uh, just last Sunday afternoon, um, I was able to baptize a, a little boy here in the church, right, right back at, at our font. Uh, first baptism, I think, since January, maybe. Um, his name is uh, Dylan, and a small group of us gathered here for the baptism to receive Dylan into the household of God. So Dylan is an infant, and that means that he did not show up last Sunday of his own free will, ready to make a decision to follow Jesus. He had no idea what was about to happen to him. So what did Dylan do to deserve this gift of welcome into the household of God? Absolutely nothing. God didn't choose Dylan because he deserved to be chosen. God chose Dylan because it delights God to do so. So it is with us. The sacraments are gifts that show us the love of God made material. Today, we are gathered not for baptism, but for the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist the love of God made material in bread and in wine. And how do we come to receive the sacrament? Do we come ready to grab on to what, what is ours, to what we've earned, to what we deserve by right, to what we think we're owed? Or do we, do we approach with open hands, ready to receive a gift? For none of us earns Holy Communion. It is a gift that we can only receive with hands held open. Let us draw nigh. 
and know that the grace of God is a miracle. We will not understand it. All we need is to receive it with gratitude and gladness, with our hands outstretched and our hearts held open. <laughs>